Hello and welcome to Class Futures. In this episode, I've spoken to Tara Baumgarten, who's the product manager at Sora Schools. Sora Schools is an online school or a virtual school, and I've been following this company for over a year now. I was really interested to speak to Tara and to get her thoughts and insights, not just on the future of, of learning and what that looks like, but also what the experience is like for, for someone at Sora, what an online school looks like, and how you go about designing an online school. So I really hope you enjoy this one. Hi Tara, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm super excited to be here. I've been a fan of Class Futures, so excited to have a go at it. Oh really? Well, you're one of my kind of first, first kind of interviewees, interviews if you, if you like. So thanks for being part of that and joining me at the start of this kind of start of my journey. So thanks so much. Um, listen, I've been following you on, on Twitter and the work that you're doing at Sora Schools uh, as a product manager and, and what you're up to there what you're up to there um how would you kind of introduce yourself to to the listeners on, on the podcast yeah so i joined sora schools about a year and a half ago when there were 12 students and today we just raised our series a and we have about 150 students so i've seen a lot of growth and my role in the school has really changed with that growth as well so when i started i was um, my background's really in instructional design online learning and when i started and there were 12 students but we were about to have our first fall start so there were going to be a lot more students coming and everything was happening like we use discord as a platform for communication so all of students assignments feedback everything was being turned in over discord dms basically with faculty so quickly we realized we needed some sort of learning management system to organize the chaos a little bit so it was a lot of little things like that jumping in where i could operations my background working with a lot of different learning management systems as an instructional mm. designer um, gave me definitely the upper hand there. And then when Garrett, our CEO, had to start doing CEO stuff, mm. I transitioned into this product manager role, which has been just an excellent opportunity for really learning by doing, as we say with the students. It's like, one day I got a mentor, which I'm super grateful for. I joined an online Slack community for product managers, and then I was doing the job. So mm. um, it's a great opportunity to work with students really closely, our faculty really mm. listening and building the future of school together. That's sort of how I see my role as a product manager. Wow, I think, yeah, big, big role. Um, what made you sort of join a startup with, with 12, when you had 12 sort of pupils? It was how did you feel about that that's obviously a bit of a risk but how did you feel yeah so i've over my career <laughs> gotten into more of these i guess alternative education spaces i started in really traditional i was an instructional designer at george washington university mm. and i 
hit a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. <laughs> I was told no a lot, basically. I wanted to try different things. And the feedback loop is what I talk about a lot, was just like pretty much non-existent. I would work with a faculty member. And I remember one experience where I actually had to follow up with the faculty member on LinkedIn <laughs> to understand if what we tried in their course had worked because there was so little communication. And that was just to get to the teacher, not even to the students to understand their experience with what we were trying in these different learning experiences. And then gradually, um, after that, I started working at the Education Design Lab where it's very future focused oriented work with, they call them the boundary spanning institutions like Southern New Hampshire University, Western Governors University, uh, Arizona State. So these are still, I would say in the traditional lanes, but we were working with them to really push the bounds on what's possible. And then when I found Sora, I had heard Garrett on a podcast, actually, and he was talking about self-determination theory and mm. motivation. And I these were all concepts that I was trying in the span of a course, you mm. know, uh, semester-long experience. But he was thinking about this. How can we engage students in something that's really driven by their own motivation in their whole school experience and how we can really back this up earlier so students are exposed to just this love of learning and curiosity as soon as middle school and high school so that they want to continue learning. That was a big thing for me in high school. I was just, um, well, even before that, I was always bored. <laughs> and especially like from as long as I can remember, I was not a math person, you know? Mm. And the biggest thing I think students take away is that they want to continue that learning and whether it's math or science or in the humanities they have these experiences that you know instead of just trying to get to the end to graduate it's like it opens new worlds for them and they have these positive experiences so every time they build those skills they want to learn more so uh, that's a little bit about how I got into it and seeing these students and the um, experiences going from, you know, not engaging and just trying to get through it, um, playing the system to get a good grade to genuinely being curious and finding their own projects to work on and advocating for themselves are things I never got to see in mm. the traditional school system. Mm. You touched on some nice points there, um, which we'll, we'll pick up again. But kind of the fun feature we start with first on, on the show is um, your favourite your favorite subject at school and your favourite yeah, stand-up teacher. Um, what did you like to study at school? Yeah, so this is probably very <laughs> telling of me as a high school student. I would say my favourite subject was definitely, I remember in gym, I took like an outdoor adventures class. Where now we're we talking. got to do <laughs> kayaking ah. and I'm from Minnesota. So we went like horseshoeing, oh, like wow. uh, snowshoeing and stuff outdoors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to be honest, reflecting back on my high school experience, there unfortunately wasn't real. I mean, that's what I'm hoping to create for mm -hmm. students because I don't have really one. I was not a very engaged student. I was much more interested in other things and just sort of getting by. I didn't actually learn to 
love learning and reading and um, getting curious about these things until after school, unfortunately. But that's one that stands out to me. So did you did you have a particular teacher who caught your interest at all or were you kind of distant from that, would you say? Yeah, it's really sad that I can't think of no, one teacher in my high school experience that really um, had that sort of lasting impact, mm. um, which is, yeah, hopefully something we strive to create because I do see like the passion that teachers bring to Sora because they're really talking about things that they're interested in and how that really impacts students' interests. I mean, we have students who never thought about something, a career in marine biology or um, population research, but because they're, we call them experts, their teachers are so jazzed about it and can get them so hyped up on these topics. It really sticks with them. And yeah, my experiences, even like we did this exercise recently to go through the canon, like the literature that all high schoolers should read. And I was going through the list like, man, I should really read these now because I just, I feel a lot of my um, high school education was that sort of, you know, the teachers weren't even excited to be learning that stuff. It was sort of just like reading the script at that point. So how can they expect the students to get really excited about what they're teaching? Yeah, it sounds that you're really motivated to kind of inspire the, the next generation of learners now and obviously your experience which is yeah obviously unique to yourself is obviously sounds like it's a real driver for, for yourself now in terms of inspiring learners who are obviously studying this all online how how did you guys how did you start how do you go about starting an online school and getting people in obviously pre-pandemic and obviously that the pandemic obviously was your was a big sort of change for you guys it accelerated it but how did you start? Was there appetite there already, do you think? Or Yeah, it's actually interesting. The foundation of Sora, like the original idea was not to be online, mm -hmm. but to get that critical mass, the co-founders, Garrett, Indra, and Wesley, we refer to them as Grinsley internally. <laughs> um, students came up with that name. And they originally started in Atlanta in like Starbucks. <laughs> they would host little um, classes with anyone who would um, lend their high school student to show up and experiment. And they had some ideas around co-learning spaces, like co-working spaces. And then eventually it just became clear that to really scale this, uh, there was a lot more flexibility if we could get students from all over the country instead of just limiting it to the zip code. And we found that to be just a huge win, honestly, because when we ask students, um, we have them grouped in houses. It's sort of like their homeroom, but it's fun. It's like Harry Potter. They're all sorted by uh, a secret algorithm. <laughs> and we asked them, would you rather be with students in your time zone? So like West Coast students would have their stand up in the morning at a later time or by interest. And students really want to be grouped by like-minded students. And it's interesting to think that our whole system is predicated on this uh, zip code basically like people in our area and I think about this with mentors or teachers too like students have so many niche interesting passions and the people in their neighborhood 
might not necessarily have those interests, but at the scale of the internet, there's certainly someone on Twitter or on some of these other platforms that would really be interested in giving that sort of feedback mm. um, in a way that someone you know in your neighborhood might not necessarily be able to provide. So I think that gives us a big opportunity, mm. but we are definitely looking into, um, now that we have that mass in certain areas, what, do, what does a hybrid or a co-learning experience look like. So we have some interesting experience experiments coming that could look at, you know, what does a uh, makerspace or club meetups, having some of that in-person connection a couple days a week look like now that we've sort of got that community aspect um, big enough in a couple of key areas. Wow, that's interesting. So what you're saying is as well as being an online school you'll have at some point a hybrid offering if you like where you can have maker spaces or where people get together and exactly build those, yeah build those relationships in person yeah that's fascinating um so so what what does a school day look like typically for someone signing online i'm, I'm really curious um obviously i'm a teacher and i go in and you know, i have my form and periods to teach through the day and um they come to the classroom then they go and then get to the end of the day and you have obviously your breaks and stuff and then you then you head then you head home so what what's an online what does an online school like Sora look like yeah so students every six weeks are registering for new experiences so that's a core part of the model is that students have autonomy over what their schedule looks like they're the ones really owning that and signing up for experiences that excite them mm. and we do this by um we have this metric called pace so they have to sign up for enough stuff each cycle to stay on pace for graduation so make sure they're getting a balance of stem topics humanities topics mm. and what their day looks like then is each of these experiences that they sign up for, they meet synchronously on Zoom like this in an active learning environment um, twice a week. And they meet with their houses that I talked about. So they're in these interest-based houses where they do stand up, we call it, in the morning. So taken from some like product development teams they talk about what's on their agenda for the day what do they hope to accomplish and mm. that's totally student-led there's a house president who usually runs it lets everyone into the zoom and takes attendance and then they sort of get into their day and this year we started um we keep wednesday open it was sort of an experiment to see um, a lot of people choose Sora for the flexibility because students have a job or some of them are like traveling for sports or whatever reason mm. students require the extra flexibility. So, and we also, we know from the science of learning that breaking the day into like eight 45 minute chunks isn't the best way for students to learn. There's a lot of um, cognitive switching that's required mm -hmm. and it really gives students a chance on Wednesdays to dig into what are the thing, the themes for reflection, for yeah. um, thinking about their longer term projects. So 
and we do find we have um, Discord as our communication platform where students will naturally start to um, like hop into voice chats together to work through problems. Or you can see if your faculty member is in their office because mm -hmm. um, you'll see their little face on Discord and then you can jump in and it does feel very organic as opposed to you know, a scheduled invite on your calendar, sending a Zoom link. So yeah, there is a lot of collaboration still on those days, but we found it super helpful just to have unstructured time for thinking and learning. Yeah, that's really important. When you talk about your pupils, what age range are you talking about at Sora? Yeah, so Sora started as a high school, mm. ninth through 12th grade. And we have a middle school now. So the middle school pilot experiment is going well. So we have probably about maybe 30 middle school students this spring. And yeah, that's pretty much like the sweet spot, middle school and high school right now for Sora. So, so what age would middle school start from, Tara, for, for people? Yes. So right now it's mostly eighth graders, but I think as like our youngest student is probably 11 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So um, 11 through 18, I guess, is who we serve. Yeah. And your people's mainly in the States or are they actually around the world? How, how are they? Yeah. So today SORA is primarily based in the U.S., but we do have plans to expand. One of the interesting things that the model allows is um, as more jobs become remote and people are picking up and traveling, they want to take their families with them. So we do have a lot of students who are temporarily in France or Panama or Brazil because they're traveling. And I think, yeah. We do have a couple students who we've tried. It's mostly a time zone thing. So it would make yeah. sense to go down like South America. Actually, our whole, our engineering team is primarily from Brazil. And it's interesting. I think students, it's a great, like we talk a lot about how work, how work at Sora looks just like school at Sora. So being able to navigate time zones and, um, different working with people from different places is a big part of um, work in the 21st century. So I think yeah. it's a great opportunity for students to learn how to navigate and build those relationships. Oh, it's well. amazing. If you think about, yeah, just, just, yeah, for example, my form and just that they all come into school and they're registered. But I think this, this dynamic where you're registering people from different, different parts of the, the country is, is amazing. And then grouping it by interests that, that that can be, become start to become really really powerful and and build that knowledge of of the, of of for a pupil. Um, fascinating. How did you? How are you approaching designing your curriculum then as a product manager? How are you? That must be an ongoing project. How are you approaching that? Yeah, it's very iterative, which I'm <laughs> super thankful for. I talked about that feedback loop that I used mm. to have where it was like very hard to understand if the changes we were making were positive or not. And now we meet with students and faculty every week. We're super embedded with the school to understand what works, what doesn't work. So we tried something in the fall, which was basically we 
learned that our system we had basically we were just calling our academic units skills and we realized the way that the incentive system was working was that students were basically incentivized to it was like one and done they would get a three which was the graduation requirement and then they would be like oh i'm done with writing (laughs) which we know for a lot of these things that we're trying to teach young people they are abilities that you grow over your lifetime really like even in high school you're not done practicing writing (laughs) you haven't really mastered it so we introduced a new system in the fall which we're calling concepts which are things that you know and abilities which are things that you do and we worked a lot with the team at building 21 who has this competency-based system and we used a lot of their their rubrics they call them continua to build out what are these really important abilities that students need to be successful Mm. in life after sora so these are things like Mm. project management presentation problem solving uh working with data designing models reading critically there's about 20 of them and these are things cross-cutting the curriculum so they could happen You know, you could be doing, working with data in Mm. a really technical statistics STEM environment, or it could be a humanities expedition where you're looking at the data of some occurrence in a book that you're reading, something that's more on the humanities Mm. side of the spectrum. Mm. And we learned a lot from it (laughs) basically there's a lot um the system that we pulled from building 21 they're working in really traditional public school environments where student they're sort of layering these competencies on top of courses Mm. and in our system students have full reign full choice of sequence and how they want to earn these in what order so we've learned a lot about what students can keep track of and how we can build better technology to this concept of pace, which is really, are you doing enough stuff each cycle to stay on track for graduation? Or if you wanted to graduate early, are you taking more things? Um, what is really the optimal number of things so we optimized for we were like oh if we go really granular on concepts then we'll have so much more data about students and what they really know and what they can do but what we realized was it's really hard to track when you have 800 of these things in a system so we're doing a lot of uh, refinement of the model to since we are so iterative with our students and parents and faculty what is really working and what isn't we can really um get it right and it feels like we really are building the future of school together it's not just like we're the product team working over here but we're all part of doing this together yeah you're very much integrated and getting that feedback as you you're so passionate about getting that feedback from from a from pupils to put that into the product side I think, you know, it's fascinating now the skills that pupils can develop through 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 education and how that can obviously be applied to curriculums and 
it's fascinating how many how many skills you're developing there um are students really respondent to all of this do you think um yeah i'm excited about the idea that students could really get to build their own understanding and narrative around these abilities because they're things that really like even today if i were to go to a job interview or something these are the types of things that um people are asking about and if you were to put on a resume or a transcript these are things that it's cool that they're already starting to build a body of work and can talk about these abilities in a way that's transferable. Mm. Like part of the system is that you have to, you get to develop them in different contexts. So like we talked about working with data, you could do that in STEM, you could do that in humanities and how that knowledge transfer piece, how do students see can you identify and make it visible that um, your project management skills or your problem solving skills, how they work in these different environments and especially um, they're super applicable to real work, which we think is super important. So if you're at an internship or you have a job talking about how you use some of these abilities in those parts of your life as well can actually get you credit for high school at Sora. Yeah, and to develop all of those different skills and obviously to to build relationships with with lots of different people um, globally and you know within the country itself. Um, listen, I, we there are lots of different themes and we could, I could keep we could keep talking and talking. I'm sure. I um, bet. But, um, I think where we kind of end the show is with with an open question um and that's around the future the future of online learning and how you see it and your kind of predictions what's your what's your vision tara on on the future of 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 online learning and education how would you go about yeah, answering that so... kind of question to, to to listeners um and deciphering that yeah, so to me, the future of learning looks a lot like work. And I don't mean <laughs> to paint a picture of like child labor or anything, but it's amazing the most authentic experiences that I see students engaging in at Sora look so much like my work life <laughs> like just for an example we have we use discord as a platform where you can see it's a platform for gamers so a lot of times they'll sh stream their screen live so you can see what they're playing and this is something that we do as a product team a lot we'll jump into discord and we'll share like i'll see engineers collaborating sharing the code and then we have another server with students where they're also similarly sharing their screen with code. If it's this, um, one of our lead engineers, Tiago, he's actually leading and experience the cycle on web development. So sometimes I really don't know if he's mm -hmm. in a, um, like a student office hour situation or he's working on one of our current active projects. 
So I think the lines are going to continue to blur and students really crave this real work. They want to know that what they're working on isn't just going into this void of the learning management system that will only be seen by their faculty member, but that it mm. has an authentic audience that people are going to look at it. And that's what real work is. And I think there's a lot of potential for the two to come together in terms of interoperability and lifelong learning, you know, instead of just learning until we're 18 and then not touching it again once you're in the workforce, having more times throughout our life where we sort of weave in and out of learning and working. And Mm -hmm. like I said, I've had this amazing opportunity to transition into a product manager, which has been a 10x learning experience for me. Like I've learned so much over the last few months and I have real, meaningful, authentic goals. So if we can give that to students, it really does start to feel closer to work than it does learning. Yeah, nice. And probably takes away that kind of connotation that you have around work, you know, and work is actually something that you enjoy and you're following your passions and you're you're doing it with purpose. That's Um, critical. I think it has to be meaningful to the student, not just work because there's some other external motivator, like, you know, beyond um, mm. getting food on the table, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fascinating. Um, and this idea that you talk about life, lifelong learning, and I think, think of my journey, in, in my educational journey, and yeah, it's very, you go through certain stages, so why can't that, those stages kind of be more more sort of seamless if you like and integrated um and I love that you're doing this too because there's you know there's one approach that's just like oh I want to learn about interesting models of education but you're like I'm gonna do a podcast which is you know the byproduct of putting out the podcast every week is the learning about these different um people and models of education so having that goal really leads to the learning in the middle yeah you you hit it on the head for me I mean that's my my way of learning and just trying to work it all out and it's it's new for everyone and no one knows what the model the model is or what it needs to look like or um I'm fascinated with it changing obviously Sora a, a part of that as well and I think it's just really exciting space to follow and um learning by doing is the best way and often it's quite raw and it feels quite you know scary or funny why am I doing this and what are they going to say or what do people think but but we're all going through that and um it's great to have you on the show Tara um listen I'm gonna we're gonna have to wrap this up we keep talking but I think people will start to switch off um but hopefully we can hook up again in the future it's it's February now isn't it and um I'm sure there'll be some more exciting announcements from from Sora and what you're doing and stuff so um I know people can follow you on Twitter, can't they? Um, You like tweeting about really um, cool curriculum design stuff there and other things from Sara. So, yeah, um, thanks so much for having on, having coming on to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to continue learning together. (laughs) Thanks, Sara. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
following my conversation with Tara at Sora Schools, I really wanted to provide some analysis. And in this part of the podcast, I will draw out the, the key points. And I think there are five key key areas or key things that, that, that we talked about in the conversation. I think the first one is this idea that pupils really enjoy learning by doing, by researching a project, they're able to investigate it and extend it in different ways and that's a really exciting area for learning. Secondly, clearly with online schools there is an opportunity for growth and I heard that through their pupil numbers, clearly there is a demand for it and we have to look at online schools and you can definitely say that, that there is a, they play a big role in the future of, of learning. I think thirdly with that comes amazing opportunities for pupils you know, the opportunity to meet like-minded pupils where we're not restricted by a certain area, we're not restricted by going to a local school. Through an online school, we can meet pupils from different different territories, different geographies, and from around the world and bring that together. And I think for a global community, a global learning community, and education generally, that is really exciting. There's a high degree of flexibility as well. So through an online school, it seems that you can go at a pace and, and check in with teachers and learn and work as, as, as you want to through an online school. Fourthly, I think the other exciting area is this opportunity where the, the pupils at Soros schools and through online learning, online schools generally, they're developing new skills, new skills of not, not just digital skills, and using computers and technology, but skills around data analysis, problem solving, presenting, critical thinking, you know, those skills which are really important for the future and will play a big role in their in their next in in, in their careers and their journey. And I think fifthly and, and finally, Tara talked about this idea of future learning. And the future of learning looks like work and the lines between or the boundary between work and learning is going to blur. And students are really engaging with that and they're enjoying that. And you know, that is really exciting. So I really hope you've enjoyed this podcast. You can follow Class Futures on Twitter at Class Futures. You can go to classfutures.com. You can subscribe to um, to, to receive the latest episodes there. Um, and you can also follow myself on Twitter at Jonathan Lloyd. Until next time, thank you.